Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. So what's up, D2C pod? Today we have Cynthia Plachon from Sticks. So Cynthia, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little about Sticks, what you guys are up to, what you're building, and uh, what's new with you guys. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on here, guys. Very excited to be talking uh, all things vaginal health related today. So at Sticks, we provide the products and education that people need to make confident health decisions when it comes to vaginal and reproductive health. What that actually boils down to is products around things like yeast infections and UTIs and reproductive health like pregnancy and ovulation. Um, but at the same time, everything is paired with educational content. And that all lives in our educational platform called Real Talk. So, so why don't you break that down for me a little bit? And I know um, one thing we were talking about offline before we kicked off and how important education um, is in this space. So um, why don't you talk a little bit about the, in terms of the product category that you guys are in and why education plays such an important role and how you guys approach that? Love that question. So I'm sure we'll talk a ton about the journey, but I think something that's been really critical to us this entire time is listening to what our customers and community really need. And that's how we found this massive problem of a lack of health education in this country. You know, one in four states don't even require sex ed to be medically accurate, which means teachers can stand in front of that classroom and say literally anything they want. And that's really scary. And so what we found is that it's not just that people need help understanding how to best use a a pregnancy test or when to take an ovulation test or how to find the best yeast infection treatment. It's that not only do they not even know maybe what a yeast infection is, they literally have never been taught the difference between normal and abnormal vaginal discharge. And I bet this is the first time on this podcast anyone has ever said vaginal discharge. So giving myself a little pat on the back for that. Yeah, nice. Okay, cool. Um, And so if we wanted to truly build these special relationships with our customers, we need to really think about giving her what she needs. And at the end of the day, that's understanding of her body. And that starts with education. And so... So take me back to the moment that like you realize like, wait a minute, this is also an education problem. And if we don't do something about it, who will? So you realize this and, you know, I don't know how many team members you have right now or how many you did have at the time, but it's like, well, this is a responsibility we have to take on. How are we going to approach this? How are we going to, you know, educate the consumers? Um, Because again, if we don't do it, nobody else will. So it started very early. Um, Jamie and I were, I like to say, slinging pregnancy tests. We were working together out of a coffee shop in Philadelphia. And 
Jamie said, you know what? I have this question. I have an IUD and I don't really understand how I'm supposed to know when to use a pregnancy test because my period is all wonky from it. So I'm just gonna do some research and write about how you could know that because that's a resource I want. And she did that. She wrote a couple blog posts and she put them on a very crazy old and kind of ugly version of our website. And all of a sudden they started getting traffic and people started responding well to them. We put them on Instagram and we got a lot of questions back. And that was the first moment that we realized the magnitude of what we could really do here because it wasn't just creating better product experiences. We were able to solve this massive problem that so many people in this country face. And so, you know, just a little light realization in a coffee shop. Um, and from there, what is now Real Talk really built and grew organically. We just started writing about the questions that we also had. And then we realized, to your point about this, our responsibility and our onus, part of this huge gap here is that you can Google vaginal discharge, we'll just stay on that example, and you can end up on a scary website thinking you have cervical cancer. And you can Google vaginal discharge and you can end up on a totally unscientific website thinking that you need vaginal steaming. But what we don't have is something in the middle, something that is scientifically backed, based in evidence-based practice, but still approachable and bingeable and something that you actually want to be reading and not something that will scare you. And so with that realization, we brought on medical reviewers. So folks to start really vetting all the content that we were creating to validate what we were doing, to make sure we could point to the right kinds of research. And we were actually giving women the right source of information. We now um, have a editorial manager and a team of writers and a team of medical reviewers who are working to create that content. That's amazing. I think that is golden, like that medical reviewer part, because you're not just you're not just hiring a writer looking for SEO hot topics. You're you're really educating, and then you're bringing in the third party to certify and and you know kind of give the confidence to the reader. So how did this yeah. idea come about the medical reviewer and what kind of impact has this? You know, you mentioned responsibility before. Jamie and I are not physicians. And so we knew pretty early on that in order, if we were really going to lean into education, it couldn't be us who were putting that final stamp of approval on it. We needed the right kinds of credentials and the right kinds of experience to be able to sign off on that. And so that's who we work with. We work with um, MDs, NPs, um, who are all either specialists in women's health or integrative medicine or family medicine, so different areas. Yeah, I think it's it's really fascinating in terms of like how you guys ended up in the education space and what a big role that plays in the product, right? Because I think from the way you're describing it, it's like you started with a blog, you put some stuff up there, it starts to get a little bit of traction, which and, and me just going to your blog and reading through it right now, it looks like you guys have really invested a lot in your in terms of your education, your content marketing. And this is a principle that a lot of the times we don't you don't see as much of this in D 2 C. You'll see more of it in like SaaS or like software sales when people are like trying to educate you a bunch about your product and this problem that you have so then they can obviously sell you their software service. But this is the really this is one of the first places where it really takes an education content first approach where you're really vetting it out um, and producing really high quality content. So um, I think this is just uh, this is really fascinating for me to see um, as a consumer and also for like other D2C brands to engage with. And one of my favorite things about the podcast is just learning from 
all different types of founders, different ways and different angles that you can come at. So I think this educational thing is, it's really fascinating, but also the the way in which you guys got there, right? It wasn't like a forced way. It was a really organic way and it was a follow the, okay, what does the market need and what can we do to help facilitate what, um, you know, our customers are really need and what they're looking for. I think that points to something else that we do that honestly is different from how so many D2C folks are operating today, which is we focus not just on helping our customers learn, but on us learning. And that's the goal of everything that we do to get as much learning and understanding as we can. We never had a huge splashy launch of sticks. We put some pregnancy tests out into the world. We didn't launch a huge platform with all these features built out to it. We wrote some blog posts. But by building that foundation learning, we're able to actually see in real time what consumers want, not just what we or some research agency thinks that they want, and then build truly for the customer. And so talk to me about your SKUs, like, you know, the process of testing out those pregnancy tests. What does your guys' process look like for, for testing out those SKUs? Yeah, so... In addition to our medical reviewers on the content side, we also have a medical advisory board. So we work with them to understand what we need in a product. So what's important in a prenatal vitamin? What kinds of ingredients do you need to have? What sorts of bacteria are really important to have in a probiotic? Then we, all of our products are, you know, in some, face some sort of regulation. Um, and so that helps kind of narrow down the, the vetting that we need to do. But we work with you know, partners who can help us produce what we need according to regulation, but also, again, our own scientific standards that we come up with with those advisors. So what? what Got what's, it. And so, yeah, go ahead, Blaine. No, I was going to say, so what stage are you at? Because I'm going uh, on your website right now, and I see you do have like a variety of products available. So like, when did you guys actually get started? What was the first product to market? And where would you like, how would you characterize where you guys are at so far in, in the whole journey? So we started 2019, so it's been fast, but it kind of feels like a million years here with just a pregnancy test. We launched our second product ever in February of 2020, which by the way, was a crazy time to have launched a new project product in retrospect. Um, the pandemic totally changed the course of our business. And then in 2021, we launched into vaginal health with the UTI categories and the yeast infection categories. How I would categorize our stage of business, I would say, I mean, we're pre-Series A. I think it's maybe a cop-out answer that I could give, but I would say we're post-learning. Yeah, post-learning, post-product market fit. Got it. That's that, that's a that's the most exciting place to be, right? When you when you've got product market fit, and now you're you're finding the first initial signs of like real traction adoption, and then you can kind of plan on taking things to the next level where capital then becomes a mechanism to scale quickly. So that's congratulations to you guys. That's super exciting. Um, and then the, the next question I'd have in, in regards to, um, you know, one thing you had just mentioned in terms of like the learnings along the way. So you started with the pregnancy test, then you get hit by COVID. So how did COVID impact your business being a, like a D2C company in a health space where, um, you know, doctor visits and that sort of thing wasn't as accessible during COVID. So how did that inform product strategy in, you know, the short and immediate term, as well as to, you know, maybe shaping what you guys are continuing to do in the future? Yeah, so it did kind of two key things. I think us and probably every other healthcare consumer product company, all of a sudden going to 
CVS, which was once, you know, maybe a little embarrassing to do and buy a pregnancy test, which happy to tell you my horror story later, all of a sudden became actually dangerous. You know, people stopped wanting to go out and shop. And so I think direct consumer across the board boomed, especially something that was not a luxury good. Something really interesting that happened in those earliest days of the pandemic is everybody was talking about a baby boom that was coming, but there's actually a baby bust. Birth rates dropped. We see in general about half of our customers are trying to get pregnant and half of them are not trying to get pregnant. And it swung to like 70% not trying to get pregnant pretty quickly. So definitely changing consumer behavior and changing purchasing, but not to bring everything back to education, but doctors had become critical fighters in the pandemic, right? And our access to them, which is already pretty limited as consumers, significantly changed. And so even in a normal 10 minute doctor's appointment, you don't really have the time to get answers to all your questions, but suddenly you couldn't even do that. And so we really had to crank out resources to help people navigate their health in a time when doing so became so much more difficult. Got it. So that almost allowed you guys to lean in more to the content and education stuff that you guys that that you were kind of alluding to before. And then and then what about in terms of like supply chain and how you guys actually developed your products? Were were the products you were building and launching was that um, you know, was that really difficult to pull off during the during COVID or was that not as much of an obstacle for for you guys with the specific inputs that you needed? Yeah, it absolutely was. I mean, we launched almost our entire product line during the pandemic. And as every D2C brand person out there knows, supply chains are not getting any easier. Um, and so it continues to be a challenge. Honestly, we have a really brilliant ops director and that has helped us navigate all these woes. We've been smart with our inventory buying, smart with our planning, smart with how we think about logistics and fulfillment. And that's helped us evolve, um, avoid so many problems. Got it. And then in terms of um, just like starting the company, launching it and, and financing it in the early days, um, how do you guys go about it? Do you, do you guys raise venture out of the gates and um, or, you know, yeah, like just why don't you characterize the, the early stages of, um, you know, gathering funds to, to start a company like this? Yeah, uh, pulling teeth is probably a great way to describe it. So our earliest days, um, we raised a little bit of money from a couple of angel investors. We actually had this amazing and fortuitous opportunity where Jamie, my co-founder, and I were part of the Venture for America Fellowship. We were pitching sticks. It was just a concept. We had gotten a couple of samples in. We held them up while we were demoing. And we were pitching sticks to their annual gala and fundraising event that they do. And when we were done, about 10 companies or so presented, this man came up to us and he said, hi, my name is Bill and I invest in female entrepreneurs. And I said, great, let's get breakfast tomorrow morning. And within 12 hours, we were sitting down and eating eggs. And an hour and a half later, he had committed to writing our first check. And meeting Bill honestly like changed the course of our company in those days. We were still at our full-time jobs. We had very little validation. And all of a sudden, it set us up in this path. So after Bill, we had a couple of other angel investors come in and then started going. That's that's awesome to hear. It's, it's it's always great when you have an idea for something and you have like the right angel come in at the right time. I know like my first business, I'll never forget getting the angel check, uh, the first angel check. It was like, oh my God, this is happening. Like that's just such an incredible feeling, especially when there's something you're very passionate um, about building. Um, and then I guess the next thing, well, you know, just one more question, Ramon, and then I'll let you hop in. Um, in terms of yeah. this market, right? Like, because you guys aren't typical 
D to C per se. You are like a health product. Um, how do like how do investors think about yeah. that space? Like, what's it, it's it's not as simple as just selling you know a, a like a CPG product or something like that. A it's razor. a little bit different, yeah. exactly. So so how how do investors like think about that? How do they like value the business and think about the opportunity? I guess, and how does that play in for you guys as you go through to to raise funding? It has changed over time. My pulling teeth might have been a little bit, uh, you know, funny before, but in those early days, so after we had raised that first round of funding, we had sort of gotten going. You know, we had some things, some initial traction, some initial customer feedback, and we were ready to raise like our first true pre-seed round. We got over two hundred no's because it's not just that they don't understand an atypical consumer business. It's that ninety-nine percent of people sitting across the table from us had never experienced this problem that we were setting out to solve, and they couldn't have any sort of frame of reference for it. They would say, "I'm going to ask my wife. I'm going to ask my daughter." And the truth is, like that's not how you would validate any other market. That's not how you should, you know, validate or invalidate this one. We have some crazy horror stories on some of the things that we've heard. I mean. Being female founders is never particularly easy. We obviously have so much privilege in being white women that that gives us, but being female founders, then solving a problem that the, the people with the money and who control the money don't care about makes it like a billion times harder, in my scientific opinion. Um, and so I think honestly, that's such a so much more of a big, so much bigger of a challenge, such a bigger challenge. There we go. Than any atypical market, I think being a little bit different as a consumer product has worked to our advantage. Because you're right, we're not CPG and we're not direct to consumer. We think about ourselves like a consumer health solution where products are a piece of it, but so is education. And the question I, I, I wanted to tap into was, first, I do know, you know, you, uh, I wouldn't say you got lucky with that, that investor, but in the sense of like timing and, and that it worked oh, yeah. out like that because... You know, I know a lot of funds out there might say, hey, you know, we invest in female founders and it's just it's just a marketing strategy and marketing play. And, um, <laughs> you know, not, not every company is out there, you know, not every fund is out there actually being about it and, you know, walking the walk. And so I know that to close the rest of, of the capital um I, it doesn't surprise me that that you know you you got two hundred nos and and you had to keep powering through it. But you know, since we touched on that first check, uh, I'm just curious. Like, w what did you do prior to this company? I think I want to take a step back and just try to understand what has your career been like prior to that point of getting your first check. So the most impactful thing, at least as it relates to founding sticks, that I did before this was actually with my co-founder Jamie. So we together joined the founding team of another direct-to-consumer produce startup called Hungry Harvest, which I like to say all the time was like the opposite side of the health and wellness industry. It was just like the wellness bit. Um, Jamie led product and customer experience. I led expansion and growth. And so we were able to kind of cut our teeth a little bit at there, see what it was like to really build and scale see all of the operational difficulties that are a product that can grow molds. Um, and that really honestly gave us a confidence to be able to do this. I bet that was an insane like training camp because I couldn't imagine the complications of the logistics and, and what, what were your 
I guess like what were some of the bigger learnings while while running Hungry Harvest that you know you were just able to implement day one like whether it's from a logistical perspective or even a growth angle I know you mentioned in the beginning that you know DDC brands aren't to be grown they can't be grown the traditional way that they probably were when you were at Hungry Harvest like how has that changed and how have you translated those learnings my first job out of college, we had a $1 Facebook CPA in our product. I will never forget the days of a $1 Facebook CPA. Those are the glory days. Because yeah, you're right. We can't grow how we used to. I think there's a couple of key things we learned from Hungry Harvest. I think one of the big ones was putting the customer at the center of what we do. That's something that they did and continue to do exceptionally well. They took customer feedback and customer research really seriously. And as I've said many times, that's definitely something that we focus on a ton here. I think we learned a lot about scrappiness. We were young and early and there without very much funding. And we had to learn how to get things done when you don't really have the resources to do them. And I hate using that word scrappiness because it's such a startup thing. But I do think that that nimbleness and that agility and the scrappiness, all those words that I'm sure are in lean startup somewhere are incredibly important and things that we learned there. And then I also think we just saw the highs and the lows. I don't think anything can truly prepare you for the highs and the lows of being a founder, but I think we got about as much exposure as one can before doing it. And that was helpful. Got it. And so, you know, now you got the capital, you know, you got a few um, angel checks. What, what was the priority with this money? Like, oh my God, you know, now I can double down on X or fix this or, or implement that. So that's, first bit of money, it's like, okay, we're going to go buy a thousand pregnancy tests. That's really what we did. We bought some product. We built a website. We had some friends design some assets for us. We packaged products ourselves. We actually bought all of our friends pizza and we had them come over and help us package up products so we can ship it out to people. Um, and we just honestly watched and tested and learned as much as we possibly could to try to figure out who our customer was possibly going to be one of the things that we initially thought were going to hold true, some of it, but not a whole ton, I will say, um, you know, and we had a lot of initial conceptions about what usage and was going to look like and who exactly our customer was going to be um, enough to get a sense, not truly find product market fit, but have a sense of what direction we were going to go. And then we applied to accelerators. Got it. And Cynthia, in terms of like the early days of that product, like you said, you buy, you know, a thousand pregnancy tests and like you package them up and now you start shipping them out and start like getting the learnings. Um, one thing that's interesting to, to me about that is like you're taking a product that like if, if you're to look at sticks currently, right, in terms of your brand, the products that you offer, your solution and all of this, it's clearly a very unique brand offering, right? But if you want to backtrack all the way to pregnancy sticks, like these are things that you could, you know, buy in the store. Um, there's probably legacy versions of this. So what was your first take and first stab at product? Were you trying to differentiate or you were just saying like, you know, people are just looking for utility. Let's provide that utility and, you know, do a little bit of communication. Like what was the, what was the thought in terms of going into that first product offering? So we thought it was a brand play in the early earliest days. You know, Jamie and I are both women in our 20s and have bought a pregnancy test or two in our lifetimes. And we felt like there was never 
a brand or experience that actually connected with us. Part of it is because all the legacy brands, and back in 2019, there were no other new folks in the space. It was just legacy brands out there. And they were all focused on getting women pregnant. And we just knew that there was this market of women not trying to get pregnant who were using this product. And we knew that because that that was us and that was our friends and that was all these other people that we had talked to before we had actually quit our jobs and started building. Um, and so that's how we started differentiating by, you know, building that authentic voice and tone by speaking directly to women by not focusing on pregnancy. You know, I mentioned one of that earliest blog post was about how to use a pregnancy test when you have an IUD or hormonal birth control, like 2019 seems pretty recent, but for the time, that was a pretty irreverent thing to even be writing. Uh, nobody else was talking about pregnancy tests in that way. And people were honestly scared to do it. They were worried about isolating people who did want to get pregnant. Um, and so that was the early hunch. And that's how we thought about really standing out from legacy folks. So it was almost like a, it was a brand play and it, it was also going niche. So like going after, if you were to look at the market as a whole of people who are shopping for pregnancy tests, there's a sub niche of people who are buying these things who aren't trying to get pregnant. They're just trying, maybe they're trying to check that they aren't in fact pregnant or something like that. So being exactly. able to go niche, speak to them, peel them off from the legacy brand, make the brand play, and that would at least give you a foot a foot in the door in terms of where you can start learning from you know your first party customers and then start to figure out what products resonate with them, speak with them, and start growing out product line that way. A hundred percent. And what's crazy that happened is we didn't alienate those people trying to get pregnant. In fact, they still loved us because we were honest and true and authentic and all the things that our brand still is today, those elements were that heart that was still there in those early days. And I think I mentioned before, you know, half of our customers are trying and half are not trying to get pregnant. And that is held true pretty much from day one. And for maybe a year and a half, investors, advisors, mentors, everybody around us was telling us we had to pick. You're either for people getting pregnant or not getting pregnant, and it is impossible for it to be for anything else. But we knew that it's not this binary experience. It's not like black and white. Yes, I'm trying. No, I'm not trying. Yes, I'm trying and I'm happy. It's emotional and it's complicated and it's sticky. And actually, 10% of people fall in between. They don't even know how they feel about possibly being pregnant. And so we held our held firm that we could we could speak to this broad swath of use cases by uniting behind the person behind them. And honestly, that's part of why we've been able to have that product expansion that we have today. That's uh, it's super fascinating. And I love hearing, I, I think that portion of saying like, we don't even know, like our, in the beginning, we were going to go niche about it. But like at the end of the day, sometimes you don't know and you just have to make the play and then see what happens with the customers. Because you might say, I'm going to go niche and we're going to really attract just this niche of customers. And then you have a whole different you know, cohort of customers who are coming along and who are all for it. So um, I think that just goes to show the importance about like when you have a hunch, pursue it um, and then, you know, learn and iterate quickly. Ramon, were you going to um, say something? 100%. Yeah, no, I was going to say like along those lines, you mentioned you have, you know, you know that 50, per, you know, 70% of the customers aren't trying to get pregnant. And as I think about it more, I'm like, you know, man, I bet you they have completely different behaviors. I actually wonder who buys more pregnancy tests, like the ones that aren't trying to get pregnant or the ones that are. But it seems like you've implemented data 
very early into the days to segment, you know, Blaine just mentioned those cohorts and you're totally aligned with that. Like you, you are looking at that information. You are looking at that data from such an early stage. And I think this is something that a lot of companies overlook um, and, and don't really dive into, but as Blaine mentioned, like this, this is what defines, well, what is the curse of the company going to go to if this cohort com- behaves this way? Like, Say the data says, okay, actually, most of our customers are people that aren't trying to get, you know, pregnant, like that might change the product lines that you build in the future. So how have you built these cohorts? What prompted you to separate sort of to look at this data from early on? And how are you even capturing knowing, you know, whether they're trying to get pregnant or not? So because it was one of our earliest assumptions, it's something that we asked early I don't think many early stage brands can get away with asking somebody if they're trying to get pregnant. I think a lot of people that might rub them the wrong way, but I think because of the way we handle communication from the beginning, we were able to do that. In the very earliest days of Sticks, Jamie and I talked to on the phone as many customers as we possibly get. Like anyone who would get with on the anyone who would get on the phone with us who had used our product, we would talk to. And through that, we just started able to really build the personas around who was using our product and why were they using our product. And there was so much we didn't expect that we honestly learned from our customer. Um, and once we were able to like hear enough stories, we used that to inform a lot of the serving that we did. But I think beyond the product roadmap and the business roadmap perspective, there's a really important piece of information that creates a better consumer experience too. And I honestly think that is like the future of commerce is like a deeply personalized and deeply curated experience. And I think having a relationship with your customer where you're able to openly talk about these difficult things is going to be what allows us to do that. And that's the exact information. The nugget that I wanted to extract was the fact that you got on calls with them because Yep. You have to earn their trust for them to share something like that. And there's 3,000 Shopify apps for, you know, getting, yeah. uh, you know, surveying your customers or whatever. But, hey, all you have to do is pick up the phone, earn their trust, and get that information and then figure it out from there. That was honestly something we got from Hungry Harvest. Jamie and I used to have everyone in our teams call three customers a week. Doesn't matter what your job was, you're the CEO or you worked in customer service, whoever you were, you were talking to customers all the time. I will still email with some of our customers from those early days. Like your early customers are such an important part of what you're doing. You can't keep them at arm's length. Yeah, that I think that's so, so important. And, and you hear it a lot, but again, it's it's the founders that actually do it because it's one of those things that like sounds great in a sound bite. Oh, like talk to your customers. But I think it's something that really has to be <laughs> instil- instilled in, in the culture of the founder themselves. And it, it just goes to show that you actually care because it's a lot easier to just hide behind a screen and make a bunch of conjecture about why people are doing things. But if you put in the work and you actually care about your customers, you're going to figure out a way to get their feedback directly and not try to read between the lines of what they're saying, but like actually, you know, get to the source. And when you can get that, um, that's going to be some of the most valuable information you can as you continue to um, grow your company. Because at the end of the day, it's all about building and and growing the things for them. So 
Next question yeah, I would have. I think that, oh yeah, go for it. Go for it. Also, really quick, I would just say I think that's something that people think that you grow out of, but you don't. We have an entire person at Sticks whose job is customer research and insights. She talks to people through chat on intercom. She calls customers. She does massive research projects with our customers. Her whole goal is to help us understand and build exactly what our customer needs. And we invested in that whole human being, which is a big deal in these days, because we know that, okay, maybe Jamie and I can't call all of our customers anymore. And maybe not every single person can talk to our customers, especially about something that's so sensitive. It requires a little bit more than a 10 or 15 minute conversation. But at the end of the day, our customer knows what they need. And they're the ones who are going to lead us to it. I think that is really cool how you just said you guys literally allocate an entire role into um, customer research and insights. Uh, I know a lot of companies talk about how much they care about it, but like really allocating and investing that as an entire resource, I think is, <laughs> <You're> is freezing. <laughs> so you invest it into that whole human being, right? And now, now, how do you decide, okay, we're doubling down on this or, or, or you know, I'm sure you, you test it out bef before hiring that person to to be the one who owned those entire customer relationships. And so how are you thinking about what the next phase of that looks like? You know, are you going to hire a lot more of these people? Are you just going to implement this somehow into the product? And how are you evaluating the success of this? So I think like so many things at Sticks, it happened organically. We hired this whole human to do customer experience overall. And then she was actually our very first hire. And as we grew, her job evolved, her skills evolved, and the business evolved. Like all of those things happened to evolve in this way that started to get her more and more experience around customer insights and customer research. She started working with our product team, started working with our marketing team. She started to develop a passion for it. And at the same time, we started to grow out of some of the things that we had been doing. Some of the ways, you know, some of the ways we had been having conversations with our customers, they weren't scaling necessarily so well. Like I said before, it's easy when you're talking about fruits and vegetables to call somebody and talk to them for 10 minutes. That might work in those early days of sticks where we could call somebody and talk to them about pregnancy tests. But eventually somebody doesn't want Cynthia from sticks calling them out of the blue to talk about a UTI. And so as all of these things kind of naturally evolved, we realized more and more what a huge advantage it was to have somebody who was spending their time really understanding our customer and what that was going to mean for us. Um, and so I think, you know, we didn't do any true testing of what it would mean because we had kind of all built there together. Yeah, because the testing was what you did in the beginning. Exactly. Yeah, we validated that it was going to help. It was ultimately going to be the best thing for our business. You asked before about building this into the product. I think there's a level of cust personal customer understanding that will always be a part of our product, whether it's the Real Talk articles we recommend or what right now is our care plan builder, which helps us recommend products, but also Real Talk articles based on what you're going through. But nothing is a substitute for a human interaction. You don't get that same information in a survey from one of those 3,000 Shopify apps that you're ever going to get from an individual looking you in the eye. So it's always going to be a part of our DNA. Cynthia, one, one thing that you had mentioned about that, which I, I think you guys are one of the first brands that we've talked to who's like allocated a full position to this. I think a lot of times in D2C, what you'll see is um, you'll see some the brand dedicate a one of their CX managers who will spend most of their time 
you know, um, parsing through like customer support tickets and like managing like the the one to one conversations. Then they'll spend a bunch of time handling reporting, which is reporting back to the uh, other departments and kind of tying that loop between CX and the other loops. But I think freeing someone from those who's had that experience, but like freeing them from those responsibilities to just say, hey, you are literally in charge of insights in terms of like really bringing that the voice of the customer throughout the organization i think that might be the best way to do it and it it, because a lot of founders have a hard time justifying it right and say oh if i'm if i'm bringing a team member on they need to be doing x y and z all the time so they slot them into these roles but giving them the freedom to um really focus on the insights portion because from that CX vantage point, if they're able to like come up with a couple different ideas, whether it's on the education side, the product side, the um, the development side of things, like that will pay itself off in gold a million times over. So I think the way you guys are investing that is really smart, and it's not something that I've seen um, in D2C, but would really hope that other brands could you know embrace. I also think those things don't actually have to be separate. Like we look at our intercom chat as an opportunity to do customer research because it's a really special moment we have where someone is engaged with us they want to be talking with us they're emailing us or chatting us or instagram dming us like that's a big opportunity for us so i actually think a mistake that people make is not taking not really using that opportunity to its fullest and just treating it too transactionally so i think honestly it's it's better to have somebody who our person should still spend some time chatting with customers there and understanding what their needs and questions are. And that's why we've made some product changes around the common things we get. I will also say we're at a huge advantage that our product, we focus on education. And so there's a lot of clarity on how to use our product. And it's not something where there's sizes or colors or any of those sorts of logistical and fulfillment complications that would cause it to be a high return industry. So we have that advantage of our customer experience can really focus on those key elements but i actually don't think they're mutually exclusive yeah no i i'd agree with that and i think in order to develop that perspective like you need to be talking to customers you need to probably be doing it every day and you need to probably be understanding the customer better than anyone else does um and being able to extract and pull out those insights from those conversations to apply them um i just think a lot of times it it kind of gets looked at as an afterthought um, for a lot of brands as opposed to being something that we say, no, 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 we're actually investing in this and we, um, you know, we trust this as a channel because it's a flywheel for product iteration, product growth, development, all these other components of the business. Um, And Jamie came up through customer experience and that's why we knew to do that because she had seen the value of going from somebody answering tickets all day to building product and how that informed what she was able to do. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I did. Uh, like the the first company I started, I, um, you know, focused, I, I ran the CX department as one of the founders there for way too long. And I we literally got all our product ideas and built our entire product off of talking to customers and saying, hey, what, um, you know, what restaurants do you want? What times do you want? What, what could we have done better to make your service better? And that became technical implementations of product for on our business side, it became product implementation. So it's super, super applicable. And it's just exciting to see being applied in D2C. Um, I guess the next question um, that I'd have in terms of like, 
where you guys are going now in terms of now you guys have like expanded your product line so you've moved beyond um just pregnancy into all these other things like where do you see things going from here and what what's the like entire suite that you guys hope to occupy and what other types of products that um are you guys thinking about that are, are going to be complementary and fit into this space so for now we're really focused on vaginal and reproductive health there's a lot that falls into that we expanded our product lines really quickly we now have i think it's 11 SKUs after starting with just a single one in two and a half years it's kind of insane um and so we've given ourselves this focus for now ultimately what we're building is this relationship with our customer and supporting her on her health journey and building confidence for them throughout it so i can't get into specifics on what is next for us on the product side but i will say we've got some exciting stuff in the works for later this year we're yeah we're, we're we're super we're super excited to see what comes next and I, I just think in terms of like how you guys are thinking about um laying the entire landscape out for like women and their entire health journey i think it, it makes a lot of sense and it it'll it gives you flexibility too in in terms of the types of products that you can layer in um yeah and i will say it's it's an interesting time to be in women's health because what is happening in this country is happening very quickly. The lack of the loss of access of rights is kind of sweeping across the nation. There's a Roe v. Wade decision expected this summer. It's scary. It's a scary time to be a woman. It's a scary time to be in this space. So I, I think what's going to happen not just with Sticks, but with so many other companies in the women's health space is going to be critically important in the next six months. And just for our listeners who may not have all the context on that, um, in terms of like the yes. legal implications, like what are what are the stakes on the line, and what what does what what's entailed by the the potential uh, consequences of those decisions? Sure. So access to critical components of reproductive health care are changing very quickly in this country. So it started with the SB8 legislation in Texas, which was that six-week ban on abortion, and has quickly spread to other places in the country. Kentucky, Florida, Oklahoma, Missouri, all have laws or are considering laws that are similar or if not even more restricted than SB8. At the same time, um, a case, I think it might have been the, actually I don't remember the state, one of the states um, had legislation that the um, fighting of it has made all the way to the Supreme Court, and they've heard argument on it and are expected to release a decision about the future of that, which ultimately impacts the future of Roe v. Wade. This Got it. And in terms of what the implications of that may be, um, a ruling on that, how would that impact the like the regulation and the, the legislation and the products that you guys uh, cre can create and the opportunities that you're creating for? So a rollback of Roe v. Wade means there's 20-something states that have trigger laws on the books. So legacy laws that overnight would become enforceable that restrict access to forms of care. Then there's more and more states that are expected to implement more and more restrictive access across the country. I live here in Pennsylvania, and even though I'm in Philadelphia, and it's a very liberal city, and we're a huge celebration when Biden won, there are trigger laws here that will limit abortion access in the state of Pennsylvania, and that's true in so many parts of the country. So what it will change is access to information and access to care 
And I think as we see our role as empowering confident health decisions, as we see our role as being a leader in health education, I think the resources, possibly the products, things that we do will change as we think about supporting women as the politics around us unfortunately change. Got it, got it. Um, and I, I think just being in a position, I think it's just something that's, you know, people may not understand just in terms of like how important it is to be up to date in terms of like how regulation impacts business, how you guys are thinking and keeping your eye on this all, uh, you know, several months in advance, because that's going to inform your the way you communicate with your customers, the way you produce content, your education, how different customers are affected. So um, I think that's really, really, really thoughtful of, of you guys. Um, and as we get kind of close to the end here, what, you know, what what's next on the roadmap for you guys? What are some of the things that you're you're just excited about in the day to day? Some some of the next big milestones or fun projects that you've got um, that you're focused on. So we're working on some new products that we are particularly excited about for this year. On the physical product side, absolutely, but also some really cool digital stuff too. As we think about building more and more tools around real talk. So helping our customers better understand and use our products, understand their bodies, and helping guide them through that. Honestly, that's probably what I am really excited about. I think the other thing that is really exciting this year is we spent last year launching so many SKUs, nine SKUs in a year, um, makes your head spin a little bit. And so this year, we've been able to focus on building them. We launched on GoPuff. We are thinking about distribution expansion. We are understanding UVPs of different products differently. We're spending more time understanding the products that we do have instead of just thinking about what product is next and next and next. And honestly, that's been so much fun. So where, where are you guys thinking about in terms of like distribution? Like what's what's next on the horizon? So you guys started D2C, right? But like, are you, you guys, yeah. you know, obviously just mentioned some last mile stuff with GoPuff, but like, are you looking at retailers? Are you, what is the, the roadmap ahead look like in, in terms of distribution? And how are you guys planning for that? So in general, well, you cut out again, but I think I got the gist. In general, we think about meeting our customers where they are. I know I keep using throwing out that word journey a lot, but it's really how we think about what we're building with our customer. And so continuing to be there physically and digitally in those ways that they need. So distribution expansion in general is a part of that. I'll let your brain take that where it will. I will say we love on-demand and last mile logistics. Um, coming from our days at Hungry Harvest, we're glad to not be doing it ourselves, but we partnered with GoPuff and it's been significant for our business to be able to get women, anybody, products like UTI pain relief or a pregnancy test. And that moment when you need it is huge. Awesome. Well, Cynthia, um, we are beyond excited for your journey. Um, thank you for sharing with us. Thanks, Honestly, I didn't know if we would be able to keep up with these conversations because it is the first of its kind that we've had on the pod, not being women ourselves, but um, I enjoyed it a lot and we're always learning. That's why we started this podcast and um, for whoever is listening that wants to, you know, stay in touch with you, your journey sticks um, and, and continue to stay in touch. Like what is the best way to do that? Yeah. Um, I mean, we produce some really fun TikToks. No, just kidding. Um, definitely you know, check you? out our site. We, we, we do, we do. We do. I have had personally one of mine go viral. It's mostly our content team who's are really successful, but 
Oh yeah, lots of vaginal discharge, painful urination, all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're like, um, I can't talk to my customers. I'm busy making TikToks for the business. Yeah, I got yeah. stuff to do. I got yeah. stuff to make. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, 100%. So yeah, visit our site, getsticks.com. Check us out on all of the social medias, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is that you prefer. We're just get sticks everywhere. Um, I am Cynthia at getsticks.com. I love to give out my email address because I always tell new founders that the best thing that you can do is ask for help. So I feel like you got to practice what you preach there. Amazing. Awesome, Cynthia. Well, thank you for spending um, the time here with us today at DTC Pod. Um, there you have it. That's it for Sticks and Cynthia. And uh, we hope to have you back later in the future and best of luck. Thanks. This was so much fun. Happy to be your intro to women's health and women-centric products. <laughs> yes, it was. Thank you. Thanks so much, All Cynthia. Right, thanks, guys. We'll see you.